This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt, a toque, mug? Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. In this episode, ice fishing, a fun way to spend a weekend or a good way to freeze your toes off. That's what Lori Fox pondered in a story they wrote for the winter issue of Yukon North of Ordinary. Lori, by the way, loves fishing, but only in the summer. Regardless of how one feels about ice fishing, though, it's hard to deny its popularity as a winter pastime in the Yukon. To find out why, I'm speaking to a dedicated year-round fisher person. Uh, I'm Aaron Holm, and I have been fishing since I was a toddler. So about 30 plus years. Okay, and uh, we just said uh, in our pre-conversation that it's kind of full-on fall slash winter here. So does that mean you're already starting to think about ice fishing? Yeah, I'm starting to um, get some gear organized. Not quite yet. I'm still in the river and still hoping for some grayling and stuff now. But uh, yeah, it won't be too long before we'll be on the hard water. Okay, so hard water, that means ice. Ice fishing, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you're still, until the water freezes, you're still doing the summer-style fishing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as I call it. Open water versus hard water, yeah. So I got into river fishing this year, so still doing that a bit. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to talk about ice fishing, obviously, but first, can you tell me how you got into fishing as a toddler? Yeah, um, well, it's my dad's fault. <laughs> uh, my parents have been fishing their whole lives, and they met actually up in what is now Nunavut. Back then, it wasn't Nunavut yet. Um, So they got into it up there just as a way of life and eating. And dad from Saskatchewan, mom from Ontario, it's always been a way of their lives. And when we were kids, ice fishing, I used to hate it because we'd go out on the water, it'd be freezing, and dad would have dozens of holes. And us three kids would basically find anything else to do but ice fish. And then as an adult, I just, yeah, I got really into it. And we always had a boat growing up. We were always at the lake. So, yeah, it was always a balance between wakeboarding, tubing, and fishing for my dad. So (laughs) we basically fished so then we could tube and wakeboard. (laughs) Where did you end up growing up? I grew up in Edmonton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, So we'll talk in a moment about how how you transformed into uh, enjoying fishing. But... uh, (laughs) For those people who have not been ice fishing, which is myself included, like, can you kind of just give us an overview? Like, how does it work? What do you do? Well, there's different ways of doing it. Like, um, you can go out on a skidoo or here. Not a lot of people drive on the ice. That's maybe a kind of Alberta, Saskatchewan thing. I grew up doing that um, when the ice was obviously thick enough. Here, like, sorry, driving, like, with a truck, like, yeah. just all the way onto the ice. Yeah. Okay. Here, it's not as common. It's mostly, like, you ski out or you sled out, and you can set up for the day and get a nice tent set up and drop your lines in. Or what I got into last year was sport fishing, so for burbot. And you drop minimum, well, you can drop three lines or ten lines, depending on the size of the lake and conservation waters. 
and you can leave them for up to 30 hours and you come back and hopefully you have some fish on the line. Um, so one of my friends said to me, it's the best type of fishing because you could be out having dinner, you could be out having a drink, but the line's in the water, so you're still fishing and you don't have to sit there all day. <laughs> right. Okay, so you go out onto the ice and you have, I guess, like a an ice auger for making a hole in the ice. Yep. And is that, like, how thick is the ice usually? Is it is it, it like it a depends. lot of work to make a hole in the ice? It Yeah, it certainly can be. Like, I still have a manual auger. I've been out with people that have, like, like the gas power or even the new uh, battery powered ones but I it's all muscle for me (laughs) which can be hard sometimes it can be like many meters um, like two or three meters Um, you want it fairly deep you don't want to be walking out there if it's too thin Uh, but early season can be pretty thin and easy but and it's sort of like an auger sort of like a corkscrew that yeah makes a hole in the ice makes a hole in the ice yeah and you scoop out all the kind of excess and then you drop your line in and there's so much new technology now when I grew up we didn't have these fancy rods and stuff now that they have now they were we my dad just made um put line on on boards and we drop a hook in the water with bait and that is kind of similar to how burbot fishing is done still but you know I see some of the people out there now with these fancy rods and jaw jackers and things that hook and reel in your fish almost for you. You can just sit there and drink beer and not even think about fishing at all, which to me is like kind of defeats the purpose. It's like part of the fun. So, yeah. Right. I mean, if it's called a sport, there should be some action <laughs> involved that's not mechanical. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you said like a, like a board and a line, you mean like literally like a piece of wood with a line attached and you just like manually like roll it up and roll it down kind of thing? Yeah. That's what we had growing up. We had a bunch of those and... That's it. We weren't like we had more like fancier stuff in the summer, but winter stuff was just boards. And then you have is it called a lure or just a hook on the end? Yeah. Mo- well, you can use either or for burbot fishing. It's just a hook. There's like specific regulations that you'd get at environment for that. Um, but if you're kind of jigging, you'd want a different different hooks and lures. Right. Okay. And so how do you for burbot fishing? How do you choose where to make the hole in the ice? Well, those, you know, Yukoners are so secretive and maybe I'll turn (laughs) into one of those people, but I was really lucky to have friends show me the ropes. So I guess I can share generally earlier in the season, they're deeper water. um, So some of the boards with the line need to be up to like 50 feet. Like the Um, burbots are are deeper. Yeah. Okay. And then later in the season, they're closer to the shore. So you don't have to go as deep. Um, So yeah, you can have shorter line. But it, it depends, like, which lake you're in. But typically fish hang out near creeks and shoals and islands and things like that. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. And burbot are, um, they're, night, they're active at night. So, like, you can go and fish for burbot um, as well. Like, you don't have to do get a sport fishing license. But they're most active at night. So the sport fishing license allows you to leave the line overnight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so also, now question, what what does a burbot look like? They're disgusting looking. I shouldn't say that. Maybe someone thinks it's beautiful, but I, they're slimy. They're bottom feeders. Sometimes they have worms on them, and, like, they're really, really slippery. Um, they're a freshwater lingcod, essentially. Well, they, that's what they are. Um, very slimy kind of gross but they're so delicious <laughs> so it makes up for it I remember last season 
I had a worm, like worms covering one of mine. And I came in and I saw the worm after I had handled it. And this guy was next to me. <laughs> the guy saw what I caught. And it was a good size. I was holding it up and I see the worm and I just dropped it. I was like, oh, gross. Like it was already dead. <laughs> I wasn't like abusing the fish, but I, I can't stand worms and slimy things. But basically it's just a big slimy fish. And it can be up to a meter long, I read. I guess that'd be like a real good yeah, catch. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can get like fairly big burbots. Um, I've had them the size of my tailgate. Oh my gosh. So. Okay. So the appeal is the taste. They're delicious. Okay. Yeah, they're easy to clean. Um, there are plenty in the Yukon. I know that's likely up for debate, but I know like that's why there's the sport fishing license and that's why they changed the numbers is because they are a plenty. And speaking to elders and other people that have fished for them for years, like Lake LaBarge and everything, it's they've seen those numbers for so long that it's it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori Fox in their article described burbot as the offspring of an eel and a catfish. Yeah, they kind of look like that. You can see that. Um, I also looked on the environment website and it was talking about the behavior of burbot and it, it talked about um, a spawning ball. Like when they spawn, there's like a whole bunch of them and it said like a wreathing mass. <laughs> that to me was like... <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm like, yum. I didn't read that, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's when they're spawning, so you're not yeah. you're not pulling them out of the water then, I guess. So Okay, so how did this how did this transformation happen from like you're a kid and you're going fishing with your family because that's kind of like what you have to do? And then I mean, I guess like when you moved to the Yukon, were you already into fishing as an adult? Yeah, I I guess like a pretty pivotal time. I was living in Australia for three years and my ex-partner there was like crazy, crazy fisherman. And it was so exciting because we were fishing in the ocean on like a little tin boat and fishing for barramundi, which is a really elusive, like delicious fish out there. And I got really hooked and I was like fishing every day and we were using it as food as well. Like I was recently recovering vegan <laughs> and and the only thing I was allowing myself to eat was things I was catching myself so I was like pretty hot to trot for fishing and then when I moved back home I was in Saskatchewan and obviously like hundreds of thousands of lakes and like incredible fishing and then when I moved up here I met some incredible people that like showed me the ways up here and I'm still really new to the Yukon um, as far as outdoor lifestyle like I've always been outdoorsy but I learn new stuff every day so I'm pretty humbled when I go out with new people and learn different spots and different techniques so yeah. do you find people are pretty open to sharing what they know no <laughs> not, not always it's funny because I join like a lot of those Facebook groups for fishing and hunting and there's people that are super open and then there's a lot of people that keep it close to their heart and I appreciate both um, I, I think there is something to be said for kind of figuring it out and finding your own way of doing things. But uh, I was really lucky to have two guys uh, early in the new year of this year show me burbot fishing and show me kind of some of the tricks of the trade and, you know, go out with me. And yeah, probably because they knew I was never going to be as good as them. <laughs> and, um, and they also just lo- like taking me out and it's fun to go out with them, right? So it's... Yeah, I think yes and no. It really depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, does ice fishing also kind of make you feel closer to your parents and that you've got this like shared 
passion? Well, my folks retired on Vancouver Island, so they don't, and dad passed actually about five years ago, but they, there's no ice fishing out that way. But sir, it's been, it was really cool near the last few years of my dad's life when I moved back from Australia and him seeing me get so excited about fishing again, or for the first time, really, he's like, it was cool to go out with him and like actually spend the day and not complain and say I wanted to do something else. Like I'd be begging to go out. Um, and I think there was a lot of pride in that. And both my brothers are avid fishermen as well. And it's something that our whole family enjoys doing, which is rare. It's like, it's, we don't have a lot of things we all love to do. And it's one thing we all love to do. So yeah, it's cool. That's special. Also in their article, Lori Fox describes ice fishing as a frozen misery, which you also said at the beginning, like as a kid, you were, you know, you just thought of it as, yeah, something that you're kind of standing around freezing. So yeah, yeah, just how did, how did, did you just get warmer clothing or you just kind (laughs) of, how did that change? Well, like drinking age hit too, so I could warm up with fireball and some, and some beers and stuff and. I think it's just more like a social activity. There's certain months here where it's like, I mean, I'm big into snowboarding and cross-country skiing and other things, but it's also just a fun activity that you, there's no barrier to entry. So like any friend can really join. And I don't know if you dress warm enough, you go out and, I mean, I'm not crazy. I don't go out in like minus 30, minus 40, like we did growing up. It's, I'm still a bit fair weathered in that respect. But yeah, you dress warm, you bring some friends, you bring a few beers, like you have a good time and you can make a day of it. So, and I love that anyone can kind of join, you know? And as far as gear goes, like it's, you said, yeah, you can kind of almost have some homemade kind of stuff or you can go all the way up to like the really expensive stuff and probably like the heating shack on the ice and all that sort of thing. Exactly. Like I don't have fancy gear i have you know something like i mostly ski out i'm hopefully getting a sled this year for fishing and for snowboarding but right now i ski out or i walk out which sucks early season sometimes you're up to your knees walking out but um i don't have the fancy shack i don't have any of that sort of stuff i just kind of haul it out um but yeah, that could change. I mean, I, I go with people that have everything from soup to nuts and cameras in the holes so they can see the fish coming in. And that's very cool. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's just different than how I grew up. That's for sure. And I guess people also have sometimes depth finders so you can tell where the deepest part of the lake is and where. Is yeah. that helpful? Oh, yeah, it's super helpful. And like even just good atlases and maps can show you that, though. And I'm not very good at that sort of stuff. Like... It's it's so funny. I don't ever claim to be an expert in this. I learn every day, and there's people that have been doing it so much longer than me, and uh, I learn new stuff every day. Can you tell me about uh, a memorable experience you've had out on the ice here? <laughs> One that always comes to mind, I think Lori talk, probably talked about it in the article, was went out with my friend uh, Michael, and he lives in Haynes Junction, and he helped get me into burbot fishing and it was just such a funny day I'm gonna call him out here because I think it's too funny he kind of was poo-pooing my manual auger the whole ride out and he had this fancy auger with him and we we were on his sled for it felt like forever it was probably 45 minutes to get to this spot on the barge and he starts to drill holes 
I think we, we were going to do 20. You can do 10 each there. And Augur wasn't working. And I asked him before we got on the sled, I'm like, should I bring my manual? He's like, no, we don't need a manual. That's that's silly. We get out there. It's not drilling the holes. And I'm like, something's wrong with your Augur. Turns out one of his buddies had borrowed it and, like, bent the blades. So we didn't have a proper auger. We couldn't drill the holes. I gave him a lot of crap for not letting me bring my manual. And then we went, we kind of backtracked. We saw his friends pulling up their lines, backtracked. And by the time we got back, there was only a few holes, I think three, that were not snowed over. So we dropped our lines in those existing holes and we're like, oh, it's kind of a waste, you know, only three holes. We drove 45 minutes and... I still didn't keep giving him crap, of course. And so we dropped the lines. We come back the next day and we had, it felt like the biggest fish I've ever felt in my life in this one hole. It was the last hole we checked and I was so terrified of breaking the line. And burbots don't care about line dimensions. So like we have pretty substantial line on there. But I was still so worried. I'm like, (laughs) he was chiseling at the hole, trying to make it bigger. We thought we were going to be pulling up like this massive fish and chiseled out the hole more. And then finally I see it's a log (laughs) and I'm like, oh my God, like what a waste. I can't believe this. And I was just about to cut the line and I felt the supposed log tugging back. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a fish and a log. So I don't know how I manage this. Like Michael still says it was like a once in a lifetime happenstance. Like we don't know how this even happened, but I pulled the log up in one swoop, which was shocking. And a huge burbot was wrapped around it. Amazing. It was very cool. We thought we'd totally be at a loss that entire two days. And it was quite funny. We still laugh about it. (laughs) And it was probably a 15 foot log. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know how the line didn't break. I don't know how this burbot got wrapped around. It was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, just a funny experience. (laughs) What what is that moment like when, yeah, pulling the the burbot out of the water? Well, burbots are pretty, like, they're not big fighters. Like, even when I first caught my first one, I was with my friend Logan. And he's like, you probably won't even notice, like, pike and trout they're real feisty whereas burbot just kind of feel like dead weight so as we were sitting there at night and i and he's like you have a fish i'm like my my rod didn't even move and he's like ah they just kind of it kind of feels like dead weight on the line um so that was different than most fish and then when you're burbot fishing like sport fishing when you're pulling it up you don't really know because you have bait and things like that on the hook Mm -hmm. and then when they get a little closer, you feel them fighting a tiny bit, but it's so hard to tell what size they are. I find sometimes the bigger, the less feisty they are. Um, so it's pretty cool. And you get them up and sometimes you got a fish in every hole and wow. it's, and it's awesome for me, like single gal, like trade. I don't, I can't eat 10 burbot, right? So I'll trade for moose or bison with friends and it's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Great. And then how do you, so how do you prepare the burbot for, or how do you, what do you, how do you cook it? (laughs) Say. Um, Mostly fry it up. You can bake it, but I I like it fried up and like the stomach part is like, it tastes like calamari. It's so good. Mm. Um, Use every piece of it. I even tried, I'm trying with a girlfriend of mine to experiment 
using the skins even. Um, she's an indigenous artist and she's trying to work with the skins and stuff because the way you process them, the skin comes off all in one like foul swoop. So it's kind of this cool little like sock, like uh, sock almost. So it'd be cool if we could do something with the skins as well. Mm, but, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a fishkin artist actually, I think in Dawson who does some work with, oh. I don't know about Burbot specifically, but okay. Jose Carboneau, I believe. Cool. Check I should out. reach out. Yeah. Cause plenty of my friends have these skins and it's like, it'd be cool if they could be used, mm-hmm. but it's great that every piece of the animal is used apart from the head and like they're very easy to process and clean. So it's not a lot of waste, which Mm -hmm. is great. Do you have any tips for newbies to get into burbot fishing or just ice, ice fishing generally? Just go with some friends and enjoy. And, you know, it's not for everyone. I, it's certainly kind of a smaller community than open water fishing I find here, but, uh, it's fun. I think it's a lot of fun. Even if you don't catch much, it's like, it can be a lot of fun just spending the time out on the water. And I guess for more enjoyment, you said you don't go out when it's like minus 30, minus 40, but I guess on any day you should have lots of, be prepared for the elements, have lots of layers, all that jazz. Hey? Totally. Yeah. I did get stuck in Atlin. Was it like February last year? I went out for some ice fishing, got skunked, didn't catch a damn thing the whole time. And it was minus 30 and it was cold and no tent. So yeah, be prepared. And I mean, yeah, tents are great. If you can bring a tent, that's like obviously going to save you from the elements, but, and be more enjoyable. (laughs) And if you're leaving the line overnight, I guess sometimes like, yeah, it can be like a balmy day today, but then if you have to come back the next day and you're not expecting it to be as cold, I guess that's just, you just, you have to go out and get it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. There's like repercussions if you don't. And That was the one thing that was actually scarier was spring coming last year and getting stuck in the overflow. So I went, it was warming up and I hadn't really experienced overflow before. And I was skiing out La Barge. I didn't go too, too far, but far enough. And I came back the next day and I was up to my waist and overflow, my waist and overflow. Oh my. And it was scary because I didn't know what was under there, what, like if it was going to crack, like it was kind of when it was getting double digits here. And I was, I was going to cut my lines and leave them and I felt terrible, but I, I went out and chatting with some of those people that had helped me get into this. They're like, ah, it's just overflow. You'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's always good to be safe. And especially if you're on a sled, just be careful because water here is, especially in the winter, like hard water can be really dangerous. So especially like the change of the seasons. Yeah. Overflow is something I, I don't understand how it happened or like, you know, how, how to predict it or what to do. And like when you were in the overflow, was it slowly getting deeper or did you actually fall through like the first layer into the overflow? It it's was usually kind of slush, I guess. Hey? Yeah, it was slush. I was skiing up and then all of a sudden I just sunk down and I was like, uh Oh, like, I luckily it was the end of the season so they were shallower it wasn't out super deep but that was when a lot of sleds were getting stuck on the barge and stuff too and that's when they opened the dam up there was a lot of weird water things this year I think but it is something that is so important in the Yukon like being around any sort of water winter or summer I think and that's something I'm learning um, being new here but yeah just always being cautious around that. Um, and also ideally not going out by yourself, I guess. 
yeah. safety anywhere in the Yukon backcountry. <laughs> exactly. And letting people know, like, if I do go out by myself, I usually put a little note on my truck and just say, like, this is where I am. If I don't come, you know, like... If you find this message a week later, uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Please call the cops. And it's good that some of the places have cell coverage, but most don't. So, yeah, just normal outdoor safety here is important. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to mention? Fishing's fun. I know, like, I don't know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of people my age, and they had a similar situation growing up where they were, like, forced to fish and... I think it's kind of cool that I've come full circle. I think a lot of people have, but yeah, I don't know. Don't be scared to try new things and like get out there and have some humility. That's something I'm learning. Um, I'm relearning a lot of stuff too. Like I've had multiple temper tantrums, I'm sure, like cleaning fish and um, frustrations of being skunked and not catching fish, but it's such a different environment here than it is in BC even or Alberta or Saskatchewan. So yeah, just trying to be humble and listen and learn and try new things. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. It was super fun and I learned a lot. <laughs> we'll see you on the hard walk. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. For a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. There's a great selection of hats, stickers, clothing. I love my hoodie. Do you have something you'd like to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook, North of Ordinary Media, Twitter, at Yukon Magazine. You can also email me, editor at northofordinary.com. And just a reminder, I'm Karen McCall. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Special thanks to art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Head Candy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We'll have another episode coming out next week. I hope you listen in. 